Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just come here today praising you and worshiping you and thanking you for, for the gift of, of life that you've given us, the gift that you've given us dying on the cross for us, uh, rising again so we could be with you always. Now, uh, please uh, bless, these, bless these words and these meditations uh, as we come before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. You know, it's hard to believe it's just been two weeks since Easter. Uh, the excitement of, of celebrating Jesus' resurrection, the wonderful worship, the beautiful music, the, the sharing of the sacraments, that joy that we felt that day. And uh, my prayer is that that joy is in your heart today as we can continue to worship together. I, I can't help but think though, what it was like for the disciples back then, after that day of, of resurrection. You know, life had thrown a whole lot at them. They went from the dire diagnosis that their, that their leader, their, uh, their buddy, their Lord was dead that he had been crucified at the hands of Roman authorities. He had been jeered and, and it had been egged on by crowds of their peers. Uh, they had to be scared. They had to be confused. Uh, they had to be overwhelmed. And then the word leaked out of Jesus' resurrection. Mary showed up early that third morning and the tomb was empty. She immediately ran for the disciples, telling them Peter and John ran to the tomb, and yeah, it was empty, a linen shroud on the ground. Then their hearts raced, their voices trembled. They were thinking, Jesus, risen from the dead? Could this be? Now talk about an emotional roller coaster that they may have been on. And then Jesus starts turning up all over the place. Mary sees him in the garden. She thinks that he's a gardener. He comes and he, he visits the disciples who were locked in a, in a locked room uh, away from the crowds. He appears, he blows the breath of the Holy Spirit on them and leaves. Uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas. He takes doubting Thomas's doubts away and... Uh, again, had to be overwhelming. The devastation of the cross, the emotional high of the resurrection, and then Jesus' continued appearances. Life for the disciples could not have been more overwhelming. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? Do you check out? Do you isolate? Do you read a book? Do you get on Facebook? Do you cry? Can you not cry? Well, Peter knew what he wanted to do and needed to do when he needed to decompress. Peter went fishing. And he took some other disciples fishing with him. Nothing like a night on a calm lake to, to soothe the mind and the nerves. 
But it turns out the fishing didn't lead to catching any fish. All night long they were out and they didn't catch anything. And then just as dawn was breaking, the disciples saw a figure on the beach a hundred yards away, a football field away. And somehow that figure knew that they hadn't caught any fish, but asked, did you have you caught anything? No. Well, why don't you throw the net on the right side? Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? Yeah, you got to be kidding. You know, we're professional fishermen. But they hadn't caught anything. So they thought, what the heck? We might as well humor them. We might as well try. And they throw the, the net on the other side and bam. It was filled with fish. It was bursting but not breaking at the seams. 153 fish. And the bell goes off in John's mind. He said, it's the Lord. Peter, half naked, throws some clothes on, jumps out of the boat, swims 100 yards. They take the boat. They follow him to the shore. And when they get to shore, they see Jesus standing by the charcoal fire, already cooking some fish. Got to wonder where he found those fish. He had some bread. And he invited them to come and eat breakfast with him. Now, all sorts of bells had to be going off at this point, and, and especially in Peter. See, it was just three weeks ago at another charcoal fire that Peter had denied Jesus three times after proudly declaring that even if all the others would de desert the master, he would not. Jesus responding, truly, truly, I say to you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said that he, he would die before that happened. It didn't take Peter long to fail. A servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. Peter said, I, I don't know what you mean. A second servant girl came up to him. He was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter said, I did not know this man. Finally, in front of that charcoal fire, Another bystander said, we know you were there. We can tell by the accent you have. Jesus had said that he was going to deny him three times. Peter said, I do not know that man. And the rooster crowed. Now in front of the charcoal fire, at the dawn, three weeks later, in spite of Peter's track record of denial, Jesus still wanted Peter to be an apostle. Now three times, Jesus would restore him, restore his denying disciple. Jesus said, Simon, 
son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said again, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Peter said again, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, exasperated at this point, said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus not only restored Peter, not only wanted him as a part of his family, he wanted Peter to serve the rest of his flock. Jesus knew that Peter was carrying the, the, the great guilt of denial. Jesus knew the hurt. Jesus knew what was inside of him. And Jesus did not leave Peter in this place. Jesus took this guilty grief away from him. He comforted Peter by restoring him. Now Jesus is able to give this grace because of his great work. The perfect life that he lived to fulfill the law. The suffering and the death on the cross. The resurrection. So we can all as believers have everlasting life with him. All these things make up Christ's great work that was freely offered to the grace to Peter. The grace was so great that Peter, even though he denied even knowing Jesus, eventually became the leader of the church. This grace was not for Peter only. In our first reading, we encounter Saul on the road to Damascus. He was on the road to Damascus so he could arrest and persecute Christians. Jesus came to Saul even though he'd done horrible, horrible things to people in Jesus' family. And he was about to do more horrible, horrible things. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you pers persecuting me? I am Jesus. Saul had to come to grips with the fact that he was persecuting the church. He was persecuting Jesus, the Son of God, as he was persecuting the church. The grace that Jesus brought with his life, suffering, death, and resurrection was for Paul also. Jesus Christ's grace was so great that Saul, who persecuted the church, eventually became Paul, the evangelist to the Gentiles and author of almost half the books of the Bible. We have all fallen as the apostles fell. There have been times that we, like Peter, were afraid to confess our faith. You know, we've wanted to fit in with others. And in doing so, we've denied Jesus. We have made promises to God that we haven't kept. Like the disciples, we have put our own lives, we focused on ourselves instead of focusing on Jesus. Even with all this, Jesus works in us through the Holy Spirit 
to reinstate us, to bring us back into his family. I wonder what Peter really thought when he got on shore and he saw the charcoal fire. I wonder if he gazed into the flames, lost himself into the past, and remembered the hurt, the hurt he felt when the rooster crowed. I only really wonder about this because this is often what I've done with my own guilt. Maybe, maybe you have too. Just, just sit in it. And that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus, the bread of life himself, has prepared a place for us at his table. That charcoal fire of denial becomes a charcoal fire of welcome and invitation. What looked like an ending became a new beginning. Now, not only does he invite us to be, back, to be with him as a part of his family, but as members of his family, he encourages us to share that invitation with others. He asks us to feed the hungry. He asks us to clothe the poor. He encourages us not just to love each other, not just to love our neighbors, but to love our enemies. He has given us grace, not just so we can be in his family, but that we can serve. He's given us grace, just like he gave grace to Peter, who denied him, to Thomas, who doubted him, to Saul, who persecuted horribly people in his family. He has given us that grace so we can be in his family, so we can share his love, so we can go and we can baptize and we can teach in our homes, in our school, in our neighborhoods, everywhere we go on our journey. He has given us so much. What an incredible, loving God of grace we have. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you came down, you lived that perfect life. You suffered. You died on the cross. And you rose again so we can have life everlasting with you. So our sins could be forgiven. So we could be a part of your family. Help us to not only be a part of your family, but in doing so to serve, to serve you, to share your love with those around us, to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, to share love with all so they can know your love. In Jesus' name we pray.